Welcome to the sermon podcast for New Life Church's Cabot Campus. We are located at 3400 West Main Street in Cabot, Arkansas. Our service times are Sundays at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. To find more information about what we believe, upcoming events, and more, please visit newlifechurch.tv or you can text the word Cabot to 88000. If you have your Bibles, turn to Mark chapter 5. Today I want to talk to you about one of our core values, the value of a soul. We believe in the value of a soul. I think it's important uh, in, in talking about that that we define, like, what is, what is a soul? Within the original language in the Bible, it actually wasn't soul. Uh, that's a, a, a Greek-derived word, and, and there's a lot of ancient Greek philosophy that surrounds the definition of that word. Um, like many things in the Bible, the English translation really doesn't do justice to the original intent of, of the writers. Uh, but the soul, most of us, when we think about the soul, we think about this kind of more like mystical, spiritual component of who we are that is embodied in a physical vessel that eventually goes into eternity. And although the writers in the Old Testament had concepts of that, for them, it was a little bit deeper than that. It was the word nefesh, nefesh. And it involves all of who you were, all of who you were. And, and that was a part of, of the Jewish custom and prayer every day that you would love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all of your soul, your nefesh, and with all of your strength. If, if I was going to try to summarize the definition behind this word, it would be this, the full embodied potential and capacity for a person to love the Lord, okay, potential, capacity to love the Lord and to love others. But it's everything that you are, okay? And so if we say that we love and value nefesh, then we love and value every person's full potential and capacity to know God and through the overflow of knowing God and having a relationship to love others. Nobody set a better example on how to love souls and individual souls more than Jesus. And so as I was kind of reading through, and quite honestly, this is a pivot. This was not the sermon that I was originally planning on speaking. I might speak that next week, but I just felt led to do this. And as I was reading into the beginning part of Mark chapter five, it reminded me of one of the examples where Jesus so clearly demonstrated the value of a soul and what he was willing to do. So we'll just read a little bit and then I'll, I'll try to build some context around this. Mark chapter five, starting in verse one. I'm reading from the NIV. They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. Okay, these are Gentiles. This was a Gentile region at that time. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an evil spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him night and day among the tombs. And in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. 
And when he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Swear to God that you won't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, come out of this man, you evil spirit. Okay, so uh, different translations, it actually says, what do you want with us, not me? Because as we find out in the story, the, this evil spirit that was actually manifesting in multiple spirits identified himself as legion, okay? So legion was a, a measurement within the Roman army for a, a size of an army. It was around 5,000, but downwards to 1,000 to soldiers that were in a legion, okay? And so he identifies himself as legion and says, my name is legion for we are Many, okay, so this dude had some major issues, okay? Now, as we read that, we're like, man, I am glad I'm not as jacked up as that dude. But I just wanna inform you that without Jesus, you're just as jacked up as that dude. It may be manifesting different, but regardless of what your demons are that you've dealt with over the course of your life, whether it's, just an oppressive spirit, a possessive spirit, whether it's one or 5,000, it all puts you in a place of brokenness. Without Jesus, this is the picture of who you are, okay? So let me back up and give some context of what happened right before this, because Jesus, after we talked about the parable of the sower, like we talked about last weekend and the conditions of our hearts, as he gets through a couple of parables, he's with a huge crowd, so big that he actually was out on a boat just off the shore so that he could communicate to everyone. And he tells the disciples, we're gonna leave this crowd. We're gonna go across the sea. So they go across the Sea of Galilee and this is where the storm happens, all right? That we've, we've seen on a flannel board in Sunday school where there's a big storm. Jesus is trying to take a nap. The disciples freak out. Jesus wakes up, rebukes the storm, rebukes the disciples for not having faith, and then they continue on, okay? And they get to the other side of the sea, and this is the first soul they encounter. Jesus sets this man free, restores him, but the people of the region, they come out, they're mad. Why? Because the way that Jesus sets the man free is he gives the demons what they think they want. And that is that they're not sent to the place. It's like a holding place for, for the demonic, okay? While demons are waiting for their ultimate destiny in hell, that's what hell is created for. Hell is actually created for demons and Satan himself. Hell was not created for humans. However, if a human, if a person doesn't surrender their life to Jesus, if they don't get saved, then humans spend eternity in hell with demons, with Satan himself. That's why it's a pretty bad place, okay? But, but they're begging Jesus not to put them in this the, the desert, in the, the place of desolation. It's like this holding place for demons. He begs them, and so as, as an alternative, Jesus sees a herd of pigs, and he sends the spirits into the herd of pigs. It says 2,000 pigs run into the sea, okay? That was a huge cost to the people who live in that area, right? Because this, this is how they make a living, right? So they come out, and I'm sure they're mad. I'm sure they're ticked off, but then immediately they're also full of fear. 
because they see this dude and everybody knows who this dude is and he's sitting there, he's clothed, he's in his right mind and he's at peace. Okay, now if I had seen that, I would have been like, man, we all know, we, we've seen this dude break chains. We've heard this guy screaming in agony and cutting himself. And now he's completely healed and at peace. Like if it were me, I'd be like, who is this dude that was able to bring that kind of healing? But their response was more in fear of something they couldn't understand. And it says they pleaded with Jesus, please leave. And Jesus did that. He loaded up and they left. Okay, how many of y'all know because Jesus is the son of God, he knew all of this was gonna happen. So that to me is what's so important. Jesus left the crowd over a sea, through a storm to find one soul that needed freedom and deliverance and wholeness, brought that healing to this man, and that was the only ministry he did there. And then he left. Over and over and over again, we see Jesus demonstrating his willingness to leave huge crowds of people for the value of one soul. I remember the first time that God broke my heart for the value of a soul. I was raised in a Christian home. I would say that over the course of my life, I had a strong understanding of right and wrong. I understood that people needed Jesus. I sat on monkey bars in third grade and would preach the gospel to people on the monkey bars and got in all kinds of trouble for preaching the gospel. But, but it wasn't because I had this deep, spirit-led, spirit-driven understanding and compassion for souls. At that point, it was much more you need to get saved or you're going to hell. Most of the churches, it was more of that kind of message. It was kind of the, you need to get saved or you're gonna burn in hell for eternity. So I didn't have a lot of grace around my sermons at that point. Just trying to figure all that out. But it wasn't until my early 20s, I'm sad to say, that I actually broke for souls. And I was on a mission trip. My, one of my first overseas mission trips, I'm in Nepal. We had this incredible opportunity that we were gonna hike through the Himalayas, stopping in villages, presenting the gospel, and then the nationals, our contacts we were with, were gonna stay in those places and start house churches. So we were doing that and we'd been do doing it for a few days. I mean, we would hike 10, 15, 20 miles a day, stopping along the way. And I had a horrible attitude. I was over it. I was just tired and grumpy and uncomfortable. And all we'd been eating the whole time was curry rice and potatoes, more curry rice and potatoes. I'm, I'm just telling you, you can eat enough curry rice and potatoes or you never wanna have curry rice and potatoes ever again for the rest of your life. And I was there. And we actually happened to be stop, staying at a hotel that night. And it's the weirdest thing. Throughout the Himalayas, there's no roads. But on the sides of these trails, there's hotels, hostels in the middle of nowhere. And most of them are either named the Bob Marley Hotel, the Michael Jackson Motel, or the Michael Jordan Motel, okay? Everyone knows those people around the world, the three M's, okay? And so that night we're staying at the Bob Marley Hostel. And they have restaurants. 
They have a place. And, and you know what they serve? Curry rice and potatoes. That's their menu. And so we just finished eating another meal of curry rice and potatoes and we're having a team meeting. There's a good sized group of us there. I think there was like 45 or 50 of us. And I was so not into it. I was just like, I just wanna go to bed so I can wake up tomorrow and eat some curry rice and potatoes and hike some more and do some dramas and stuff and get this over with. So I'm tuned out of the meeting and I noticed this four-year-old, maybe five-year-old little boy who by himself is going around and clearing everybody's plates. Nobody's really paying attention to him. He's just going. And so I'm captivated by that. I'm captivated by the fact that there's this four or five-year-old little boy that has this work ethic where he's just going around and picking up plates and carrying them back. And I'll never forget him. I'll never forget what he was wearing. He was wearing a sweater that was dingy and dirty with horizontal colored stripes. He had a safety pin that wasn't holding anything together, but a safety pin on his sweater like he had found it, like it was a medal or a treasure. And when he had finished clearing all the the plates and everything. He went and he sat on a bench just about five, six feet away from me at the table across from me. And I've always liked kids. And, and so I, I love making kids smile, like making kids laugh. And, and so I'm, I'm having this interaction with him and, and just trying to get him to smile, trying to get him to laugh. And, and he had a horrible sense of humor, so he didn't laugh or smile. And, uh, and so, but eventually I just like motioned to him. I'm like, hey, why don't you like come over here and, come have a seat next to me on the bench. And he jumped right up and he came over, he climbed right up in my lap and just sat there and he stared at me. But he just sat there. And within just a few minutes, he fell asleep. And 20 minutes turned into 40 minutes, turned into an hour. And somewhere in there, the Lord showed me that this little boy, this innocent little boy who didn't pick where he was born, didn't pick where he, what he was born into, didn't pick the religion that he was gonna grow up around, that that little boy, unless somebody, unless the Holy Spirit somehow revealed himself, that that little boy was gonna grow up the rest of his life under a false religion, and that without God, in his grace and mercy and sovereignty, without that, that that innocent little boy was gonna grow up. And if he didn't come to know Jesus, he was gonna spend eternity away from God. And I wept. Because God showed me that that was exponential across Billions of people, souls, souls. And I'm like, man, somebody needs to do something about this. So eventually this little boy woke up and when he woke up, he was startled. Like he forgot where he was, that he had climbed up into my lap, look at me like stranger danger, what's going on? And I, and I got up, honestly, there was a wet, warm spot on my leg. So, so he apparently got very relaxed. And, 
it was the least of my concerns at that point. I just, I grabbed his hand and I walked with him back to where the kitchen area was. There was a woman in there and when she turned around and saw me holding her son's hand, she was concerned. I'm like, you weren't concerned for the last almost two hours? Like he wasn't around, but I understand. And then I did the best I could with getting one of our translators to come and, and present the gospel to her. I hope every one of you has an opportunity or better said, seizes the opportunity to get outside of your little world, to go on a missions trip somewhere and let the Lord wreck your life for the lost. You don't have to go though to the mountains in Nepal to be broken for the lost, for God to put in your heart a value for souls. You don't have to, but in my experience, it, sometimes it takes that. It takes you getting outside of your comfort zone. It takes you getting outside of seeing what the Holy Spirit, seeing what the kingdom of God is doing in a different place with people that are totally different than you. Sometimes it takes that for you to finally wake up and say, wow, this is not about me. <laughs> and the United States is not the center of the universe. And my little world is not the center of the universe. And, and I need to have a kingdom mindset. I need to have an eternal mindset. Most of you hopefully are more mature than I am that it may not take that for you to get it. But that's what it took for me. But the reality is this. Most of the soul's that God has called you to value and to love won't be cute little four-year-old innocent boys in the mountains of the Himalayas. Most of the souls that God is asking you, calling you to obedience, to love and value are complex and difficult and messed up and downright frustrating sometimes. When the word compares us to sheep, it's very appropriate because sheep are stupid and sheep are dirty. And when there's a lot of sheep, there's a lot of sheep stuff. And my experience is sometimes it gets really difficult to love souls, especially the more you get to know that soul. And the more you get to know a soul, sometimes it's like, man, but God still calls us to love them. So I wanna just tell you a couple of things the Lord has taught me about how to love and value souls and how to keep that love and value. First of all, you gotta separate the soul from the sin. Separate the soul from the sin. What do I mean? A lot of times when I sit down in a counseling session, this is especially true with marriage counseling with a husband and wife, I tell them that, the only way they're gonna even begin to be able to work through the issues that they're having, they have to change the way they see each other. Because the problem is, if you're trying to love your spouse as a soul with the title of husband or wife, how many of y'all know the honeymoon doesn't last forever? 
it's easy to love someone's soul on a honeymoon. But the longer you're married, the more you get to know that soul. And that nefesh, whew, you're not always going to feel love. You're going to choose love. But here's the thing. You can't even begin to choose love if you don't see them the way that Christ sees them. And so I'll tell them, you're not going to be able to work through this looking at each other as husband and wife. You're going to have to go back to the basics of who God first calls you to be. You're going to need to be able to see your spouse as God's son, as God's daughter, as a brother or sister in Christ. If you can begin to see them the way that God sees them, then you will be able to separate their soul and the value of that soul from the temporary manifestation of their sinful nature that is sin. You're gonna have to separate those two things. How? Well, the, the word of God helps. The Holy Spirit helps. But what I've learned is the only way that I can truly continue to love and value a soul is I have to see that soul the way that God sees that soul. Well, how does God see that soul? There's a lot of verses, but here's one of them, Romans 5, 8. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So when you were at your most messed up, Okay, whether you got saved when you were six or you got saved when you were 60, we were all wretches in comparison to a holy God. Like all of us broken and lost in our sin. And it says that when you were at your worst, the value that was given to the, your soul was worth his only son that while you were still in the middle of that, he didn't see you for your sin. He saw you for your true value and potential. You can't love souls if you can't love them and see them the way Christ sees them and loves them. The value can't be determined by what you think about that person. It's gotta be established by the price originally paid for it. Because as long as it's about your idea of right and wrong, right? That's the original sin. They ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So as long as it's about like, I don't like this about them. I do like this about them. As long as it's about that, then you don't see the soul. You see your definition of their soul. You have to separate the soul from the sin. Ephesians 1.4, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, this and dozens of other verses are the reason why we as believers have to unapologetically determine and define the value of life, the sanctity of life. No matter what culture says, no matter what anybody else says, this says that the value of life was from the foundation of the earth, okay? So not, not, not at a certain number of weeks, not, not, not based on, on any of those things. The, the value of a life and the value of a soul is established by the word of God. 
And the word of God says, before you were knit together in your mother's womb, I saw you and knew you. The value of life is a supernatural component, but by the way, at conception. That's when the value of life starts. We have to get this right. We have to get this right. But it says from the foundation of the world that you should be holy and blameless before him. But we're not. So how? In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. So the value never change. The value of a soul doesn't increase or decrease at any one given moment of strength or weakness. The value is established before the foundation of the earth and it never changes. That's the way God sees them. God's never like, well, today their value is a little higher because they please me. No, while you were still a sinner, he said, value is the same. Whether they know me and recognize me or not, the value is the same. Whether you're a, a whether you're a six-year-old boy over here in kid life or a five-year-old boy across the sea being indoctrinated with a false religion, value the same, the same. See the value separate from the sin. Number two, be unoffendable. We live in the most offended generation that has ever sucked air on this planet. And if that offends you, here's your sign. We are, and you know what? There's some, there's some contributing factors. Media, for sure. Social media, for sure. Absolutely. But we're just, we're just offended. We're just offended. And when we're offended, keyboard warrior. Ha! And we can write up some of the nasty, slanderous, mean stuff, press, enter, and there's no consequence. There's, there is consequence, but we don't feel the consequence. We, we don't the destruction that's happening out there. And why? Because we decide what's fair. We decide what's just. And, and when it's not, we're offended. You hurt my feelings. Well, Jesus said that this was gonna happen. In Matthew 24, Jesus speaking of the last days, and then many will be offended. Check We'll betray one another, check, and we'll hate one another. All these things are happening, okay? In Proverbs 18, 19, it talks about what it looks like when, when people in relationship get offended. An offended friend is harder to win back than a fortified city. That word fortified in the original language, it says stronghold, okay? Stronghold is something else that is equivocated to what an enemy does, okay? when they're able to establish a stronghold. Specifically, it talks about the inner part of the city where if with everything else falls, everyone retreats to the stronghold and that's where you make your last stance, okay? Right? But it's also a place where the enemy can get a grasp in your life. So this is the picture. Um, I'd ask for a show of hands, but I'm sure it's a lot of people that grew up rock climbing. Um, I know there's probably hundreds of you, but I grew up in Colorado and when you rock climb, you know, you've got ropes and everything connected to you unless you're really dumb and are asking to die. But, but you use some safety systems. But basically how you climb these rocks is you just use 
the natural formation, however God made it, and you use little cracks and little ledges and stuff to get up this, this rock. And it's really difficult. It's not easy to do. But every once in a while, man, if you can find a crack, if you can find a crack that you can get your hand into, you can find a big enough crack just to stick your fist in it, man, you can just hang out there. You're just like, I'm just gonna chill. You can just stay there. You can stay there a long time and just rest. And that's a great picture of what the enemy does. See, what the enemy does is he uses little offenses in your life to start a crack. And then eventually, when those offenses turn into bitterness and division, it's a big enough crack that the enemy says, stronghold, I'm gonna hang out here. And I'm not moving until they repent, until they reestablish Jesus on the throne of their life Jesus is Lord, not them is Lord, not their sense of justice, but God's will, plan, and purpose. I'm gonna hang out here until they get this right. And sometimes that's what happens in relationships, offense. And when it says that friend will hate friend, man, we're living in that. I've seen covenant relationships are the strongest relationships you can have because they're a spiritual relationship. I've seen covenant relationships within the body of Christ get offended, create a crack that turns into a stronghold that brings division in the body of Christ over temporary and quite honestly, shallow reasons. Things like politics. That we would let politics, an opinion about politics, create a stronghold of offense that divides the bride of Christ, which is eternal is sad. And I think we have to decide because again, we're coming into an election year, right? And the enemy is gonna start this stuff up again. And some of you can't help yourselves. You're gonna post, you're gonna say something. Like you just, you feel like you got to. Here's what I would say. You have to decide now, are you a citizen first and foremost of heaven or are you first and foremost a citizen of the United States of America? We are blessed. I am not going to belittle or devalue the fact that we live in the greatest nation on the planet of the earth. And I think that God ordained us to be that way, not for our glory, but for his alone. That's the reason why we have what we have. I'm thankful for every man and woman who has sacrificed so much and paid the ultimate sacrifice so that we can have the freedoms that we have so we can have the liberties that we have. I'm thankful for them. But if you think that those take precedence over what the word of God tells you to do, then you're missing something. Because according to the word of God, this is what you have to get. The Bible says that I take up my cross daily and I follow him. You don't put a cross on your back unless you intend to die on it. And every day you die to yourself, you die to yourself. You die to yourself. So everything that I can see in the word of God suggests that when you become a believer, you surrender all your rights. You're like, no, but the constitution, okay, this or the constitution? The constitution was written primarily with this as the foundation, but you have to make the decision. Is this your guide? Is this your standard or your own idea? of your rights, because as a Christ follower, you've given up all your rights. You said, I don't, I don't, have, I don't have rights. 
I don't have rights. How do I know this? Because Jesus is our example and model and he gave up all his rights. He hung on a cross while dying and suffering after being humiliated and, and embarrassed, hanging on a cross naked. And he, he prays for the people that are really actually offending him. Not like, not like with, with just words, he is physically, emotionally, and sexually abused, and he prays for the people that did it and asks for forgiveness. If we are going to value souls the way God has asked us to value souls, we have to be unoffendable. We have to lay down our rights and say, it's not about me. It's not about me. Matthew 6, 14 says, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, when they offend you, that's a qualifying statement though. For if you, if you forgive other people when they sin against you, then your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your father will not forgive you your sins. What does that mean? It means you can't give what you don't understand. You can't really forgive people if you don't understand God's forgiveness. So the reality is if you can't forgive other people, then there might be a component of revelation and forgiveness that you haven't gotten yet. Also be spirit led and know when to let go. Now this seems a little counterintuitive. Value souls, know when to let go, yeah. Because in order to really value souls, it can't be about what you think it takes to value them. It's gotta be about obedience. It's gotta be about God's plan and purpose, not what you think. In Luke chapter 15, there's three parables, okay? There's a parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, and the parable of the prodigal son. The first two parables are about when some soul is lost in God's heart that he would want us to have in pursuing and finding that lost sheep, that lost coin. But here's what's difficult. What's difficult is how do you know when a person goes from being a lost sheep or a lost coin to actively running away from the things of God and becomes a prodigal? It's not always easy. The Holy Spirit has to show you, but here's what I do know. The sheep is not still running when it's found. It's, it's recognized, I'm lost. It just needs to be found. The coin is not running. The coin is lost and is found. The prodigal is running. So here's what, I would, what, here's what I've learned. Everything that God has given you, especially the relationships that God has given you, you hold all of them in an open hand. God gave them to you. You have to learn the difference between those that you are responsible for and those that you are responsible to. But as you learn that, you have to understand that all of it, God may have put them in your life, but the moment that you start thinking that you know better than the Holy Spirit, then the creator of the universe and you begin to try to control and make something happen is the minute that you've actually stopped loving that soul. 
Because unless your hand is open, God won't work with it. God can't move in those situations where you're saying, I know better. I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna make this happen. A lost family member, a rebellious child, someone who is just trapped in sin and refuses to repent, you hold them in an open hand. You say, I'm not dropping them, but I've got to let you move. I've got to let you work. I can't make this happen. I've got to hold them in an open hand. Sometimes the best way for you to value someone's soul is to get out of the way and let God do his job. The Holy Spirit is so good at what he does. Much better than any of us. Sometimes the most loving thing that you can do for a soul is say, I'm gonna let you go. I'm gonna let you go. And by the grace of God, by his mercy, you'll come to the end of yourself so you can find Jesus. And it's so hard especially when you love them so much. But you have to keep an open hand and trust God. He's gonna do it. He's faithful. He's got a plan. He loves them infinitely more than you could ever think that you could. So much more. If you don't, then sometimes you'll develop a savior complex. Like you've got a better plan and you don't. But if something else will happen. If you don't, you're gonna miss opportunities with willing souls that are right in front of your face. Sometimes you're gonna be so distracted by trying to make something happen out here and you've got somebody right in front of you that's like, I'm here, I'm ready. And the enemy sometimes will use prodigals as distractions away from lost sheep. Hold it with an open hand. The Holy Spirit is really good at bringing these people to your heart and mind. You let them go, but you don't drop them. Because remember what the father and the prodigal son story did. They didn't say, well, I'll get out of here. Fine. It says he waited on the porch. And it says that when he saw his son a long ways off, he didn't stay on the porch like, all right, man, I, don't give, I can't wait to tell. I told you so. Told you so. Can't wait to tell him. No, it says while he was a long ways off, he ran to him. He celebrated him. He restored him. He made him whole. So that's the position we're gonna take. No matter how long they've been off and away, anytime the Holy Spirit puts them on our heart and mind, we're gonna text them. We're gonna call them. We're not gonna try to change them. We're just gonna love them. We're just gonna say, I was thinking about you. We love you. We miss you. We're praying for you. God's got a plan for you. Anytime the Holy Spirit, and he's really good at that. He's really, and here's what I would suggest. Anytime God drops a name in your heart, don't hesitate, don't wait. Be obedient in that moment. You call them, you text them, you reach out because God might be using you in a favorable moment. And I can't tell you how many times 
Not because I'm a pastor, but because I'm just willing to be obedient that God will drop a name in my heart and I'll text him. And the response back is, you wouldn't believe the timing of this text. I was just fill in the blank and asking God to show himself in some way and your text came through. Be obedient, open hand. Let's close our eyes, bow our heads. The only way you're gonna do any of this, you gotta know your value first. You gotta know your value first. It starts there. It starts with the fact that if you can't see yourself the way that God sees you, you can't see anybody else the way he sees them. And it'll be really hard for you to value and love souls when you haven't received the value and love first made available to you. So right now, if you're in this room, you're recognizing, man, I I have a hard time loving souls. I have a hard time valuing people the way that Christ does. There might, there's a chance that the reason why you struggle so much with that is because you've never received the price paid for you. You've never received the value. It's been made available, but you've got to receive it. You've got to allow yourself to be adopted in. And if you're here and you've never done that, what I mean is you've never said, I recognize that I don't have a relationship with God. I've never surrendered my life to him. I've never accepted the price that Jesus paid on the cross for my brokenness. And I wanna give anybody in here that feels that way, that knows that, an opportunity to respond to him. And I wanna just ask you to be bold enough to admit it. And I'd love to lead you in a prayer. So if you're in this room, you'd say, Pastor James, I know I'm away from God. I know I don't have a good relationship with him. And I know it's because I've never accepted my value in him by accepting what he did for me on the cross. And you're ready to accept that. I wanna pray with you. I want you to put your hand up right now. Say, that's me, I'm away from him. I need to call on Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Okay, as soon as we make eye contact, you can put your hand down. Anyone else, I'm ready to just surrender to him. I'm ready to step into the fullness of of who he is and who he called me to be. Okay, anyone else? I need to surrender to Jesus. I'm ready to make him my Lord and Savior. Okay. Father, thank you so much for meeting with us today. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for how you challenge me, challenge my priorities. I thank you that there's a couple people right now that, that maybe for the very first time they're recognizing and realizing how much you love them. And that's what I want to confirm. He does. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. 
He's always loved you. Hasn't been about the good or bad that you've ever done. He's always just loved you. And he's so thankful that you're ready to accept that love. Because that's what it takes. You have to accept it. I just want to lead you in a simple prayer. Just say this. Say, Jesus, I need you. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. I ask for your forgiveness. I believe that you rose from the grave. Defeating sin. So that even when I make mistakes, I can come to you and walk in freedom. You defeated death so that I can have the hope of heaven so I can fulfill my purpose. I wanna grow in a deeper understanding every day of your love, my value in you. And out of the overflow of that, help me to love others. Lord, I pray that we as a church, as we're growing and as we're adding, that our roots would go deep that out of a foundational core value of those roots that we would love souls. We would love souls at all different points of knowing you that we would love souls. Help us to do that, Father God. In Jesus' name.